0: The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Well, how's everybody feeling at 925 in the morning? Come on. Hey, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't expecting that good of a response. Uh, I'm impressed. I am. You've had how many of you had multiple cups of coffee already this morning? Come on, don't lie. This is church. Don't be ashamed. Caffeine and Jesus, a fantastic combination. Hey, we're glad that you're in church on this Sunday. Hey, a big shout out too. Would you help me welcome everybody that's tuning in online? Would you give a big hand clap to everybody? Yeah. We love you. We honor you. Hey, you're a part of our family, wherever you're tuning in from, and we, uh, we love that you are sharing today with us. Hey, second and third service, we have a guest speaker, Pastor Steve Fender is going to be with us, so if you've never heard him, hey, stay around here, Pastor Fender, phenomenal speaker, anointed man of God, so that's going down in second and third, but as for first service, you got me, so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but we're going to have a good time today. We're going to have a good time today, so let's jump right in, all right? Are you ready? Here we go. Rudy Rudiger wants to play football for the University of Notre Dame, but he has no money for tuition or the grades to qualify for a scholarship, so he redoubles his efforts to get out of the steel mill where his father works when his best friend dies in an accident there. Overcoming dyslexia thanks to his friend and tutor, Debob, Rudy is accepted to Notre Dame and begins to fight his way onto the Irish football team. He spends his junior season as a defensive end for the scout team, where he's overmatched by offensive linemen who are a foot taller and 100 pounds heavier. For those of you that don't know football, that's not a good combination. But he finally convinces his coach to let him dress out for one home game his senior season. Check this out Rudy! I love the chant. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. That's just got to get you excited. That just pumps you up. Big O was one of those linemen, right? That uh, he 100 pounds heavier, a foot taller. If anybody doesn't know Octavius, trust me, you don't want to be a hundred pounds lighter and a foot shorter going up against this large human being. But Rudy, a true story of someone going from underdog to top dog. And I don't know about you, I can't speak for you, but, but anytime I'm watching a sporting event and I don't really have a team that I'm, I'm following closely, I find myself cheering for the underdog. I'll root for the underdog, and perhaps you can relate this morning. Maybe there's something on the inside of you that wants to, to root for the underdog as well. And, and I got to thinking, why, why do we like to root for the underdog? And it's really simple. I think the reason is this, is that every one of us in some area of our life feel like the underdog that we don't measure up, that we don't add up, that we don't have what it takes. But I've got good news for you, that as we study the Word of God, we, we quickly find that God rooted for the underdog. He was always cheering for the underdog. And it's interesting, isn't it? And maybe you found this to be true in your story, but, but in every hero story, right, every underdog story, it seems that they always have an underdog excuse, And every hero that we preach about had to overcome some type of underdog excuse. They had to overcome it to be used by God and to live out their God-given destiny and to change the world. We serve a God of the underdog. We serve a God that is rooting for the underdog. We serve a God that is rooting for you and for me. He's rooting for average, for everyday people to live out their dreams, to seize their destiny, and to accomplish whatever it is that he's placed in your heart. We serve a God that roots for the underdog. And so in First Samuel chapter 16, we're introduced to arguably one of the greatest Bible heroes of all time, One of the greatest leaders the children of Israel has ever known, and really one of the greatest leaders that the world has ever known, King David. Perhaps you've heard of him. Yes, that King David, the David who led the children of Israel, the David who slayed Goliath, the David that they made veggie tales about. Yes, that King David. And I think that on some level, every single one of us can identify with King David. And and here's here's where I think we we find ourselves. And you have to stay with me for a moment because before King David was King David, he was just David. He was just David, a run-of-the-mill, average, runt of the family underdog. Not too different from you and not too different from me. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we find his story and we, we see how God chooses him and how God uses him to be a phenomenal leader who would literally shape the world. And before we dive into his story, I kind of want to set the stage, a little backstory of what's going on before we, we get to our text. And so let me let me make this as understandable as possible. In the Old Testament... The, the children of Israel were wanting a physical king because for as long as they had been in existent, God had been their king. But it's interesting what happens, right? They begin to, to look around because they realize that their king is invisible and they notice that other nations have earthly kings. And they start saying, hey, God, I, 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 we, we need an earthly king. And God says, no, you don't need an earthly king. Trust me, it will be way better if you just go along with my plan. And as we do, you know, God, we trust us, God. I mean, we're smart. We need an earthly king. And can I just let you know, can I just inform you this morning, if you were wondering that very rarely does it work out in your favor When you begin to look around at the people that you work with, the people in your communities, the people that you you go to school with, and you start saying, well, look how how blessed they are. Look how skinny they are. Look how smart they are, how tall and pretty and how happy they are, because it doesn't matter how rich, skinny, tall, pretty, or happy the people that are around you are, because you know, right, that... Around the next corner, there's somebody that is richer, skinnier, taller, more important-er. Uh, that didn't make sense. Happy-er. Listen, there's never a win in comparison. It just doesn't work out well. Listen, just stay in your lane. Know what God's called you to do, that he's created you for a purpose. And so, God says, all right. You want an earthly king, so an earthly king you shall have. And I will give you a man by the name of Saul. And Saul was an amazing man. War hero, right? Like, when you think of war heroes, this is the man that you think of. What you have in your mind right now, is that's what he was. The star of the class, the quarterback of the football team type of guy. This is, this is Saul that we're talking about. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that Saul actually stood head and shoulders above everyone else in the army of Israel. He was a man's man. Yeah. He was tough. He worked out, you know what I'm saying? Like he was a big deal. If there ever should have been an earthly king, this guy should have been the guy. But we find out not too not too soon into his leadership that that something a little sketchy's taken place because on the outside. He looks the part. He looks great. He, he's he got all the, the measurables, if you will. But on the inside, one moment he's for God, and the, the next moment he can't stand God. He's, he's wishy-washy back and forth, back and forth. And finally, God gets enough. <laughs> he says, listen, I don't know. This is not really what I had in mind. This is not how I had it drawn up. So uh, I'm going to take my hand of anointing. I'm going to take my favor off of you, and we're choosing a new king. You're not, you're not doing what we need to do. In essence, he said, listen, I want to go in a completely different direction. And so he shows up to a guy named Samuel. You're familiar with this, perhaps, who was the preacher of the day. And he says, listen, together we're going to go find and anoint this new king. And so this is where we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And this is the Bible. This is what it says. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? And I wanted to make this the title of my message, but I just couldn't make it work. He says, Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse, of Bethlehem I have chosen one of his sons to be king now you have to understand that Samuel had a lot to do with Saul becoming king and so he's kind of depressed, okay? He's a little down, and so let me break it down to how it might look in our day and age, okay? Here we have Samuel lying on his couch. He hasn't showered in a couple of weeks, and he's watching reruns of Gunsmoke or Dawson's Creek, depending on which generation you're from. This is this is what he's doing, and he's he's eating Cheetos with the bag open, lying on his stomach. He's depressed, and he's... He's frustrated, and God says, hey, 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 hey! listen, how long are you going to sit there eating Cheetos and Doritos, watching reruns of the worst shows possible, right? Except Gunsmoke, is pretty legit, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I've got a job for you to do. Get up, fill your horn with oil, and be on your way. Because I want to do something new. Fill your horn with oil and go. Because I want to do something new. And so the first thing that I want you to wrap your head around this morning as we we look into the life of King David, the, the underdog, is this. Is that God wants to do something new in you. And of course, for the nation of Israel, it was choosing a new king, taking their nation in a whole new direction. And so God speaks to Samuel saying, get off the couch because I'm doing something new for you. And I believe this morning, I don't know where you stand, but I just have a feeling that God wants to do something new in the lives of his children. That's you and me. I don't know what you came in here needing today, but God's not in the recycling business. If you need something new from him, he's here. If you need him to do something new in your life, he's willing and ready. He's looking to give somebody a fresh start. He's looking to give somebody a a do-over to take your life from heading in one direction and move it so you can begin to walk in a brand new direction. He's wanting to do something new in you. New opportunities, fresh ideas. And it reminds me of a story in John chapter 5 of a man who was in the right place at the right time. It's the story of the man that was by the pool of Bethesda. And this this gentleman had been paralyzed for 38 years. And the Bible tells us that when an angel would appear at the pool, he would stir the water. And the Bible says that the first person in the water after the stirring, that person would be healed And so you can imagine the people around the pool. There was a great number of people with all kinds of different ailments, but Jesus shows up to the pool. That's what I love about Jesus. Jesus goes where a lot of people don't want to go. Jesus shows up to the pool. And here's what I love about Jesus is he doesn't just show up, but he begins a conversation with our friend. He begins with a question, a, a question that seems to you and I perhaps a very easy question to answer. And here's what he says. He says, hey, sir, do, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be, be made whole? Do, do you really want to change? Notice he doesn't say, excuse me, would you like to feel better? No, 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 that's not, that's not what he asked. He said, do you want to get well? And there is a difference of feeling better and being made well because you and I, stay with me, we can walk into church to feel better, but walk out of here the exact same way. Do you want to come and feel better about your life, or do you want to come and allow him to do something new on the inside of you? Do you want to come and allow him to rearrange and shape some things in your world? He wants to do something new, and, and, and this is what the pool represented. It was a place to be comfortable Here you could be around other people who had similar issues that results in you feeling more normal with your own dysfunction. And Jesus, Jesus walks right up to the one who would have been last in line, the underdog. And he said, it's your turn. I'm ready to do something new in you. Jesus doesn't walk right past him and overlook him. Jesus doesn't walk by and give him the courtesy nod and say, hey, how are you doing? God bless you, brother. We're so glad you're here today. No, no, no. He walks right up to him and says, listen, I know you you would normally be last in line, but guess what? Today, you underdog, you are first. It's time for something new to happen in your world. God's wanting to do something new In you... Come on, I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know if you've been making choices that have been leading you to a place of unhappiness and of hurt, but I just have a feeling that he wants to take your life in a whole new direction. I don't know where your marriage is today, sir or ma'am, but here's what I do know. Maybe it's gotten stale and boring and maybe things have been deteriorating quickly, but he wants to do something new in your marriage today. He wants to take an old, broken down marriage and make it fresh, make it new. He wants to do something new in you. Maybe you felt the tug to start that business, to step out on your own. I just believe this morning that God wants to do a new thing in you. But here's the problem, right? That's awesome. But watch what our text says. When Samuel, watch, watch Samuel's reply to what God tells him to do to go to Jesse's house in verse number 2. But Samuel said, ha, ha, ha. ha. How can I go? If Saul hears, he will kill me. I'm going to die. This is his reaction. And here's the second thing that I want you to understand today is that new things always come with fear. Isn't it interesting? Have you thought about this? That he is he's having a conversation with an unlimited God but he camps out in the land of excuses. Like, a God that, that is massive, that is huge, is asking you to do something, and you're scared. Like, he, he's kind of a big deal. Like, I get it if your mom or dad tells you to do something. Well, I'm not sure you really know. But, but if God is telling you, like, you, it's oh, okay, sure, okay, here we go. If you're telling me, you're kind of oh, the man upstairs, I get it, here we go. For Samuel, God shows up, hey, get up, take a shower, put the chip clip on the Doritos, on the Cheetos, it's time. And he instantly fires back with excuses. Fear begins to rise up. And if you're honest with yourself and you read the story, his excuses are pretty legit. I mean, I can't lie to you. Like, this is probably what I would have said as well. I would have been thinking the same thing. Listen, Lord, this is a great idea. I I like the idea of a new king, but have you noticed that we actually still have a king? His name is Saul, the quarterback, the war hero. Do you? Do you remember? This is where we would be. And Lord, um, when our current king, see, we speak real loudly and very, you know, we pronunciate really well. We want to make sure he hears. Lord, uh, do you remember that that our current king, when he hears that um, I'm helping you choose a new king? that he's going to be slightly perturbed. In fact, dear Lord, um, he's going to be so perturbed that he's going to want to uh, kill someone. And no offense, dear Lord, and with all due respect, you, kind sir, are invisible. And this is what kind of got us into this situation in the first place. He's going to want to kill someone, and it's going to be me. Amen. Right? It's This is, okay, I get it. This makes sense now. Back to the couch. <laughs> Dawson's Creek, here we come. This is, these excuses are legitimate. Fear instantly grips his heart. And here's what I want you to understand today. Listen, no great thing in our life ever comes without a feeling of fear. Fear seems to be a constant companion of progress in our life. But stay with me. Just because you feel afraid doesn't mean you have to stay afraid. Afraid, Hey, underdog, let me just reassure you this morning that you don't live by fear, but you walk by faith. See, you trust a God that is bigger than any fear that you've ever had in your entire life. That your biggest fear isn't on his radar. It doesn't even intimidate him. It doesn't scare him. Just because fear is an inevitable in our lives, it doesn't mean that you have to be controlled by it. You can't allow fear to paralyze the progress that God's trying to bring in your life. It's so, it's so Samuel. This is beautiful. He's so scared. and he's, he's throwing out some legitimate fear game here. But watch the second part of verse 2. The Lord says... Go take a heifer. (laughs) Go get the cow, son. It's time to get the cow. God's having none of it. Listen, you can't be making excuses. We got something bigger to accomplish here. I know that you're a little intimidated, but have you noticed who's on your side, who's asking you to accomplish this? Hey, I'm with you. Go get a heifer. I'm going to need you to go down there and get old Bessie. We're going to Bethlehem. Chop, chop, let's go. Watch what the Bible says next. Samuel, he did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Here's what's happening. Samuel strolls into town and all the bigwigs, the important people, they know he's coming. And they're they're a little bit scared because most of the time when the prophet strolls in, it's because something's wrong. And so that's why they're asking, hey, do you come in peace? What's happening? And he tells them, yeah, 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 listen, I've come in peace. Here's what I want to do. I want to have a big church service tonight. So I want you to go home. I want you to get cleaned up. Bring your crew. Bring your family. Come on. And then he goes and he finds Jesse. And he hands Jesse some VIP seating to the church service that night. He says, listen, I want you to bring your wife and I want you to bring your sons. We're going to have you right here on the front row, bub. You got, I mean, a beautiful view of everything that's taken place. So there's Jesse and all of his boys. The night has rolled around. The time has come. The service begins. Worship takes place. Samuel comes out, preaches a masterpiece of a message. And now it's time to anoint the next king. And so... There's Jesse with his sons lined up on the front row. We pick up in verse number 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, "Ah, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. He stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height for i have rejected him the lord does not look at people the same way that you look at people and so they're ready to anoint a new king here and and, and jesse has his oldest son stand up which would have been culturally correct he's tall he's dark he's handsome And Samuel thinks to himself, I got this figured out. Yeah, this is the guy. If God's going to anoint anyone, it's going to be this guy. And God stops him and says, I don't look at people the same way that you look at people. See, you look at the outward, but I, see, I look at the heart. And so God turns down Eliab, the logical choice. Can I tell you today that God's not looking for the obvious choice? He's looking for you. He's not looking for the most qualified, the most talented, the best looking, the best. No, no, no. He's looking for you. He's looking for a normal, average, everyday person who goes about their business. God's looking for you. The third thing I want you to embrace this morning is this, that God's plan is sometimes different than our plan. See, see, Samuel thought that he knew the plan. I've got, I'm dialed in on what God's got going on. Hold up just a moment. This process isn't going to go like you think it's going to go. And let me remind you this morning that just because life hasn't always gone according to your plan, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan. See, we we fall into this notion that if it doesn't go my way, well, then surely God's not. No, 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 no. Listen, our our plans are so small. But you trust him, he's going to blow your mind. Hey, anybody know that God's for you? Come on, do you believe that God is for you this morning? Yeah. And so the story, this is, this is my favorite part of the story. The story is about to get really, really interesting, okay? It takes a, a very awkward turn here. Jesse, then Jesse, called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen These. This is so awkward. You have to picture this. They're all sitting on the front row, right? The oldest son stands up. He's like, yeah, it's my turn. I'm going to be denied. And then the person on the end of the row, think about the little brother down here. He's thinking, oh, I hate that for my brother. Oh, but my odds just went up of being king. (laughs) Right? And then the the next brother stands up and he's like, here we go. Uh, Denied. And then when it gets to the, the youngest at the end down here, he stands up and he's like, hey, hey. It's about to feel good to be king. Right? He's got his shoulders back, he's got his head in the air, because all of his brothers have been denied. Now it's your turn. Only to hear. No, you're not the one either. So he asked Jesse. Samuel asked Jesse, Are these all the sons that you have? Hey, hey, Jesse, is there is there any chance that you've forgotten any of your children? And watch Jesse's reply. Well, I mean, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what you call a bad parenting moment. (laughs) A bad, bad parenting. How do you forget a kid? Like, I understand mixing up their names. I call Caroline Windsor and Ellery Caroline. Like, I can't get their names figured out, but I don't forget them. How do you forget a kid? You don't. You don't forget a kid. Listen, he did not forget David. Jesse, David's father, just didn't think highly enough of him to invite him to the party. Here's the fourth thing that you have to understand this morning. Is that there will always be non-believers on the path to our dream king david goliath slaying david lion slaying david ultimate leader david had a father who didn't believe enough in him to invite him in from the field the man like the leader king david some of you are hearing the voice of a spouse. You're hearing the voice of a parent, a grandparent, a coach, a boss, saying that you will never amount to anything. I'm here to tell you today that you've got a God that is rooting for the underdog. He's cheering you on. He's saying, come on, it's your turn. It's your time. Get up. Do what I've called you to do. You've got a God that's cheering for you today. Now you've got to watch what happens next. This is beautiful. Verse 11, Samuel Samuel said, Send for him. Go go get him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Watch. Standing is a sign of respect. It's a sign of honor. When the president or a dignitary walks into the room that you are in, you will leave your seated position and you will stand because of who he or she is or the position that they hold. When royalty steps into your presence, you stand. From the moment that Samuel learns of David, he stands. From the moment he learns of David, he begins to treat him like royalty. He's got one voice in his life that doesn't think enough of him to invite him to the party, but he's got another that the moment that he hears mention of his name, he says, whoa, you better stand up. We're not sitting down until he gets here. I wonder this morning if anyone can remember the verse in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that says this I will be a father to you and my sons and my daughters. You will be my sons and daughters, says, Did you know that you are a child of the king? And everyone else in your life on the way to your dreams and hopes and desires, they may keep their seat. But you've got a heavenly father that thinks enough of you to invite you to the party that says, Listen, whoa, 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 this is my child. And when my child enters the room, we're going to stand up because they are royalty. Come on, we serve a God who is for the underdog. Samuel had to get seven no's before God gave him one yes. And that one yes, the underdog... Was worth it. Pastor Randy, if you'll help me, I gotta wrap this bad boy up. The fifth thing that I want you to understand this morning is this. Is that God always uses an underdog to change the world. God chose David to be the one to lead. And nobody saw it coming. Nobody saw it coming. A shepherd boy. A nobody. A runt. A half pint. He wasn't famous. He wasn't from raised in the right family or even in the right birth order. Everything that could have been wrong with David was wrong with David, except God chose to use him. When God chooses to use you, it doesn't matter what pedigree you have, where you come from, what you've done. When God gets ready to use you, guess what? There's nobody that can stand in your way. David was the unexpected underdog week and a half ago, I tell you stories about my children all the time. For those of you that don't preach, children are your best sermon illustrations. <laughs> Windsor plays baseball. You, everyone in the world knows this because I post it on social media all the time. preach about it all the time. But he loves baseball. In fact, his coach is in the building. Coach Greg, appreciate you, sir. Thanks for taking time with my son. You're amazing. Um, but listen, yeah. So we're at practice one day, and coach, I haven't even told you this, I don't think. We're at practice, and at the end of practice, we play this fun game. It's fun for everybody. The coaches enjoy it. The kids love it. It's a blast. But it's kind of like knockout in basketball, but for baseball, okay? And it's a fly ball game. So you're you're launching fly balls as high as you can throw them. And they're these, I don't know how to explain it. They're foam practice balls, so they're not real baseballs, but they're heavy enough to go, but not too heavy. You know what I'm saying? They can go up high enough, but they're light enough to where on a windy day, that wind will take them and push them, I mean, forever. And so you've got these seven and eight-year-old kids who are running a mile trying to catch this ball, and it's hilarious to watch, honestly, but these kids are good enough to, to get there and to catch it, and they do a lot of times. And so they're in this line, and the coach is throwing fly balls to everybody, and the point of the game is when you catch it, you get back in line. If you miss it, you're out of the game, right? Kind of like knockout. Well, Windsor... Windsor, I don't know where he gets it. He's kind of competitive, and so he doesn't like to not catch a ball. He must get it from Cassidy. I don't know. So the ball goes up, and Windsor, he gets underneath it and just drops it. I can tell I'm like, oh, he's not going to be happy about this. He's out of the game, so he's got to wait till everybody is done. Second round, we play the game again. First round again, Windsor gets underneath it, drops, falls out. And after the, the second game, practice was over, you go pack your stuff up and get ready to go home. So I'm helping clean up, and I'm looking up. I'm like, where's Windsor? He's usually around throwing the ball, wanting to be the last one to leave with Coach and his sons. And, and I look up, and I'm on one end of the field, and he's already got his bag packed, his baseball bag, his bat sticking out. And he's walking to the car like this. I'm telling you, he's from here to the parking lot for me. Windsor! He won't even look at me. And this is, not, this is rare for Windsor, Okay. He's he doesn't normally pout and get like this mad sometimes. And so we get to the car and I try to play it off. I know he's upset about it. And so I'm changing the subject, like, bro. Practice was so good. So much but you hit the ball great. Yeah. He's not talking. And I'm like, oh, you're gonna talk to me, boy. And so I bring it up. I said, Hey, what's wrong, dude? What happened? And he starts, he goes into the fly ball game. This is what he's mad about. He starts making excuses. Dad, the wind was too strong out there. How, how am I supposed to catch the ball? And I'm like, oh, you're making excuses. Dad, my glove, it's my glove's falling. Dad, I mean, I don't, the sun was in my eyes. And at this point, I'm kind of like... Oh, you're not going to make excuses You just missed the ball son Just own it And, and I, then the Holy Spirit hit me Probably not I don't think so But <laughs> I'm like we're going to use this As a wonderful teaching moment And so I'm being the best parent in the world That I am you know Oh son listen Let me tell you Hey When something happens in life It's not the referee's fault that you lost the game it's not the ball's fault, it's not the sun's fault. Listen, sometimes we just don't make the play. It's life. It happens. And I'm trying to I'm, I'm a great parent. Teaching moment. Whoops. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I look in the rearview mirror and his countenance changes. But it wasn't like one of these mad cries. It was like a a deep broken like I was like, oh, "What's I don't know what to do right now," and he starts bawling. And in that moment, I'm like, "I can't believe it didn't hit me before, but but it hit me in this moment that that all these excuses that he's making were surface level excuses leading to something that was actually much deeper. Because here's what he would tell me next. <laughs> I felt so embarrassed. That's what he hit me with. And as a father, right, you're like, oh, I don't want you to feel embarrassed. And so I'm crying in the car. But, but listen, it was, these excuses were surface level excuses to something that was, more, that was deeper, this, this feeling of, of being not good enough. Of not making the play when he's expected to make the play. And I'm like, I did what any parent did. Liz, I don't care if you ever catch a fly ball again. I love you. You're the best son in the world. You're amazing. God has plans for your life. (laughs) And this story mirrors so many of the situations that we find ourselves in. As an underdog, we start to make excuses as to why we're not the person for the job. I'm not qualified. I'm not educated. Listen, I don't have the right pedigree. I'm not talented enough. My personality is is totally different than what God's calling me to do and the hopes and the dreams in my life. But listen, these are surface level excuses to something that I feel is much deeper. Fear. Fear of failure, fear of not measuring up to what everybody around you thinks, to what a parent thinks, to what what you think God wants from you. And I want to ask you a question this morning as I end this. Would you stand with me? How do you think David felt right before he slayed Goliath? How do you think David felt as he was at the brook gathering Five smooth stones, knowing that he's about to go take on a giant that nobody else has conquered. Listen, I'm sure there was faith, yeah, but there had to be a little bit of fear that accompanied that. This is kind of in my mind what I think. I wonder, I don't know, I can't prove this. But he's reaching down to pick up one of the stones and he says, Oh, he's huge. I wonder if you'll be the stone. That will take him out. And he puts it in his pocket. Then he reaches down. Oh, I yo. Oh, I'm just a teenager. But I wonder if you'll be the stone that takes him out. Oh, this guy has won a lot of battles. Look at him. Oh, uh-oh. I can't even open my eyes. But I wonder. I wonder if if you will be the stone that takes him out. And then I wonder too, I wonder if in that moment like pre-war, like when he's getting hyped for what's about to happen, you know what I'm saying? I wonder in this moment if he went back to that place in his mind where that horn of oil was emptied on his head. I wonder if he went back to the place where Samuel had experienced seven no's to get to one yes, him, the underdog. I wonder if he went back in his mind to the place of his anointing and thought, God, if you chose me then, then you have equipped me and you will use me now to do everything that you're calling me to do in this moment. And so here's what I want us to do. Would you throw your hands in the air? And I don't know what you're scared of today, I don't know what fear, fear of whatever it is that has gripped your life, but I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe right now that fear in the name of Jesus is going to be gone. Whatever it is that he's calling you to do, you're able, you're well capable to do whatever it is that he's designed you to do. Lord, right now, God, I rebuke fear. Our faith in you is bigger than any fear that we can have in life. And I pray right now that whatever you're calling us to do, that we would go back to the place of that calling, where you placed that dream in our heart, and we would remember the moment, the feeling of how it felt when you anointed us in that moment, that you equipped us, that you called us, and that you will be with us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.